You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and this episode features Jean Alert. Jean is an award-winning author, entrepreneur, and podcast host. He's also a faithful member of the 26er tribe who's been supporting this show since episode one. So I could not have been happier to finally have him on as a guest. As you will soon find out, Jean pretty much embodied everything the December 26er movement is about way before December 26er was even a thing. At the behest of his mother, he turned down scholarships at two different out-of-state schools to attend college locally and ended up finding success in the mortgage business while pursuing his degree. Jean eventually went on to found ACA Branding Agency and produce comedy concerts and tours for acts such as Chris Tucker, Charlie Murphy, and Kevin Hart. Gene also formed Citadel Publishing, which has released various noteworthy titles, including his own bestseller, Do Right, Do Good. His other ventures include Brooklyn Swirl, the first neighborhood yogurt shop he opened alongside his wife in a building that they own. Yes, Gene also has this real estate game figured out. He's responsible for distributing thousands of dollars in scholarship money for higher education and is the mastermind behind an entrepreneurial program for young people entitled Faith Grind Inspire, which also happens to be the name of his number one business podcast, which broadcasts from Madison Square Garden. Needless to say, Gene's energy and drive are unmatched, and he brought that same energy to the show. So without further ado, please enjoy. Gene, welcome to the December 26er podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling great. I'm super excited. First of all, I want to say thank you for uh, creating this platform. Uh, I also want to say I am a December 26er from day one. Day one. Day one. And I listened to basically every episode that you had. And I feel like you're like maybe <laughs> one of three people yeah. who, like our mom, Brandon, who we always shout out on the, sh- on the show, who's a huge supporter, uh-huh. and you. I-, I think you were the three. Some of my best friends are like, I'm seven episodes behind. But what? like, yeah. you are hardcore. I am. Every Tuesday. You, it's literally like, every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And I know you're not lying because you, you've commented on things. You, you you know how the show runs. Uh-huh. Like, you know, sometimes, as I was telling you before we hit record, some people come in here and they're like, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, like, they have no idea what the show is about. But, yeah. like, you really know the ins and outs. Nope. This is going to be a great conversation. It is. I, see, yeah. I already know. See, we've been on panels <laughs> together. I already yep. know what you're about, how hard you work. Yep. Sorry, I knew from the beginning it was going to be a good one. Yeah. So It's going to be fun. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Who is Gene Alert? Oh, see, I prepare for these questions. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I didn't want to sound like, oh, okay, the typical, mm-hmm. right? So, but Gene is a grinder. Gene's a father, husband. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. And uh, I am a man of Christ. Like, I just believe in God and I believe in, you know, uh, the higher power is pushing me. So I have a purpose on this planet, you know? So I want to be a grinder, a motivator, inspiration person to a lot of youth and a lot of people to inspire them to do the best that the best in them to fulfill their visions. And you've been on it. Like, you're not new to this. Like, now it's hit. I feel like everybody's like a speaker or a panelist, yeah. like the new mixtape artist. But you have been on this journey. 20 years. 
years. For a very long time. I think we first met, it was on a panel, a girls empowerment thing. Yes. I think it was like 2013 or something. Yes. But you had already, like I was easing into that world and you had already been in it. Yes. Yo, you know what? You just took it back. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't even remember what that was called. That was, it, was, it was a girls empowerment yeah. brunch mm-hmm. in the in like Harlem. It was in Harlem at yes. the Alhambra Ballroom yes. or something. Yeah. My sister Alvina was there. Mm-hmm. She was to speak. She was on the panel. Um, yeah, yeah, you were on there. Yeah. Wow. That's when we first, our paths first crossed. Yes. And then we were at the Gentleman's Factory. At another panel. At another panel. And it was one of those, like, we've been on a panel before. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so, yes, you, um, and I, I do want to walk through that and make sure we, we have the time to really talk about how you have been putting in the work mm-hmm. and investing in the community, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. for a very long time. I started, uh, it's interesting, my background, because mm-hmm. uh, I know you know me, but mm-hmm. your listeners probably don't. Um, well, some of them. So, my background, I'm, I was born in Haiti, mm-hmm. right, and migrated to Brooklyn, Flatbush, uh, until my sister was born. Then we moved to Deer Park, Long Island. Uh, when I got to Long Island, I got introduced to entrepreneurship through a career day. This guy came in and he was like, I'm an entrepreneur, a black guy. And I was like, huh? Because most of the people that were uh, coming to the career days didn't look like me. Right. So when this guy came in and he said, I'm an entrepreneur, I was like, what's an entrepreneur? And he was like, a person that owns their own business, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh. So I went home and I told my parents, uh, asked my parents, Parents, hey, why aren't you guys entrepreneurs? My mom was about to like hit me, <laughs> knock, you in the head. knock me in my head. And my, my dad said, well, that's why we came to this country. This is what you want to do. This is what you could do. And uh, my first little business was a uh, selling mixtapes, bootleg mixtapes, DJ Envy, uh, just random mixtapes, uh, Clue, DJ Clue tapes, <laughs> 50 Cent. Back. Yeah, um, all these mixtapes and... Um, I used to take them to school and sell them because the kids in Deer Park didn't have the music. My cousins in Hempstead and uh, my cousin used to, um, his name is Picture Perfect. He's famous now, but because he did like Cardi B's uh, music video, uh, Bodak Yellow. He's the one that shot that. He shoots a lot of videos. But before, when he first started, when he first graduated from NYU, he used to get these mixtapes like before they came out because he was in Harlem. So I would take them, make copies, go to Long Island, record and sell them. And then there was another thing I used to do, uh, which was like my grinding mentality. I used to stay up late. I would go to sleep and then wake up super early, listen to Stretch and Barbito. New Yorkers know. New Yorkers know. Yeah, Stretch and Barbito, 90.3 a.m. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning when this radio show came on. But they had all exclusive artists, Mob Deep. Everybody came on. And I would record that whole two hours, 60 minutes or whatever, 180 minutes or 60 minutes because it was tapes. Mm -hmm. And I would go to school on Friday, let a couple of my friends listen to it, and then sell it. Right? So I was making $1,000 a week. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. (laughs) $1,000 a week. Yes. And let me tell you how how good of a negotiator I was. I had, I talked three of my friends into coming in to business with me because I couldn't handle it by myself. I named the company JTCN Productions, Gene, Troy, Cliff, and Nate Productions. I had business cards, and those were my first set of business cards and uh, that I got from Staples, right? I printed it in my computer at home uh, or in school. I negotiated with the uh, principal of the school to say, listen, we're going to run this business, like it or not, but... <laughs> 
We won't sell in class. We won't interrupt class. We promise never to get in trouble. And we'll, but we need four lockers around the school. You so, asked for four lockers. Yeah, additional lockers, not ours. Right. So we need to conduct this business. So b- based on that, they gave us four lockers. Now you can't do this. Mm-hmm. But before they were like, yo, we like this entrepreneur enterprise. Like we that would never fly in twenty. No, but my school is very entrepreneur based. Mm-hmm. Like all the parents, every every kid in the school pretty much their parents worked uh, owned a business so they wanted to push this they wanted they taught us uh, about stock and their wall street and all those things so um that's where it came from but what happened to me what made me get into like caring and public speaking right versus the money side was uh when i graduated high school i actually got three full scholarships to go away from school mm-hmm. And Johnson Wales, University of Miami, and Boston College, right? But I, my mom didn't want me to go. She didn't full ride. Full ride. Why not? She said I was two. I love two things more than school: women and money. <laughs> Which is rough. If you go away from school. Those. Yeah. That's what you're into. She said. Could be a rough go. She said, "Look, I don't want you to come back, Pablo Escobar, and I don't want you coming back with five kids. <laughs> so, um, you you have to stay here. And my older one of my older cousins. I'm, I'm not gonna say her name, but she went away from school, and she was a valedictorian in her school and she went away and got kicked out. So when that happened, all bets are off for me. Like it was over. So, and I was a younger cousin, so I had no chance to go. So I ended up going to Hofstra. Um, but so, but what happened was during that process, I went back to my old school mm-hmm. to start telling the kids listen, you got to take life serious. Yeah. You got to take this thing serious because, of, like, it's real out there, you know, and people aren't going to tell you, pull up your pants. People are not going to say, go to class. No one cares. No one cares in the real world. And that's that's where it started, mm-hmm. 18 years old. And as I started progressing in my career, I just kept going back to different schools and teachers like, come speak at my church. And kids used to, kids that, you know, were in 11th grade now, they're like sophomores in high in college. They would say, I need you to come to my youth group. Mm-hmm. I'm like, youth group? All right, cool. So I would go and then start, and then it just started spreading. And, and before there was a thing, a motivational speaker. It was just, hey, I'm a real estate person. Right. And I just want to talk to kids for free. And then I started going to schools. And then years later, um, I ended up writing a book, mm-hmm. Do Right, Do Good. And um, from there, uh, uh, writing the book, I turned it into a scholarship. Well, we're going too far. I'm sorry. We're going to get into I'm sorry, it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like getting all into it. So go ahead. I'm, I'm super excited. Which is like... <laughs> And th- this is these are the guests. Like, yeah. We love all of our guests, but when a guest comes in and you can feel that palpable excitement, yeah. that's the, the great d- differentiator yeah. between a good interview and a great interview, for sure. That's true. So you're at Hofstra, yep. right? Are you still pushing tapes at this no. point? So you're oh. done with that, right? Napster killed me. Um, <laughs> whoever else was there, but I remember Napster. Napster killed me. The iPad, the iPod mm-hmm. killed me, and the business was done. You know, like my freshman year in Hopshire was disgusting. You know, like, I couldn't figure out. Actually, I started, I met up with this guy, Malachi, and which was my cousin's friend, and we started doing parties. Okay. That's how I got into the promotional game, because I, I had to figure out another way to make money. And I got into real estate. And when I got into real estate, I was wearing suits. People, you know, my teachers and my professors were like, you know, 
what, what are you doing? Did you just come from court? And I was like, no, of came course. from work. Yeah, of course. And um, and I had to figure out, because I was around all these rich kids, and I had to figure out, okay, I look young. I look like a baby mm -hmm. in a suit. This was like my graduation suit. Uh, I only had like three suits, you know, at the time. So I had to figure out how to leverage. And you're going to hear this word a lot. I love that word, leverage. Um, I had to figure out how to leverage me being at this school and around these people, right? And how to get into the, the door. Mm -hmm. So what I did, I told the kids, all the kids were struggling, college kids, and I was struggling too. So I said, look, if you take me home and introduce me to your parents, if they own a home, um, if I can close a deal, I'll give you some money. So you offered to take that. <laughs> I did. I, had, I was like, I didn't know anything. So I said, they were like, hell yeah. And I said, okay. So I'll go to someone's house and two, two, three weeks later, finish the deal, come back, not give it to them on the side. I'll go into the student center and, um, and I would say, here you go. So all the kids were like, wait, he, this is for real? Yo, come to my house, come to my house. And I started building my little business like that. So, <laughs> okay. So anybody who understands a metropolitan area, particularly New York City, real estate is incredibly competitive. Mm -hmm. There are agents everywhere, mm -hmm. right? I know a ton of people who went, got licensed, never made a dime, or mm -hmm. they can't really support themselves off of it. And you know people who do really, really well. But mm -hmm. the people that I know who've done really, really well are older. Like they've been in this game a long time. Yeah. They have a crazy Rolodex. You were a student and leveraged other students to sell their parents' homes. Mm -hmm. That's how that works. Or down. refinance. Or refinance, yeah. okay. So it was one of the two. So mm -hmm. kids, I just said, bring me to your home and I'll figure out the rest. So I'd walk in, get the same same response every time, the same greeting. Oh, where are you coming from? A job interview? I was like, actually, I'm a banker. And I'm in real estate. And they're like, really? Doing what? How do I help? I help parents save money to pay for college by refinancing their house and getting a low interest rate. And they'll go, really? Yeah, FHA. And they'll say, what's the rate? And I'll tell them. And next thing you know, you know what? We are interested in refinancing right now. The rates are pretty low. Because at the time, this was before 9-11, mm -hmm. um, interest rates, people who had mortgages had higher interest rates, like 8 9%. So when I came in talking about three, people were flying to me, you know? And so it was easier for me at the time to leverage what I had. I had to leverage what I have. People, the people who don't make money are people who think it's just going to come to them. Right. Right. You have to go out there. You have to be you have to be uncomfortable. And when you get uncomfortable, that's when you're going to get into a new space where you feel like, oh, wow, you see things. It gets brighter. Um, and the interesting thing is, once I started dealing with the parent, what do you think happened? I leveraged the parents. Absolutely. Oh, do They're you have any other friends that have kids that, you know, and they would say, oh, you know what? My neighbor, go down three houses. And then another thing I used to do, and I'm dropping some gems for the real, the real estate people out there. But once I closed one house, say I closed the house on 123 Smith Street, I would send every house on that block a postcard mm -hmm. and say, hey, I wouldn't tell the house that I closed, but I say, hey, I just refinanced and I helped a family on your block and I saved them $50,000 a year, whatever it is. And the person, you know, people would contact me. 
And that's what I used to do. And so, uh, and I built a really good business. I went from loan officer to team leader to at 23 vice president of the company running like six branches. So how did you get into this game? How did you get into the real estate game, the banking game? By accident. At that young age. To pay for school. That's how. Like I I was, um, I wanted to go into something where I knew to pay for Hofstra, I couldn't just work at McDonald's or Filene's Basement or Roosevelt Field. Right in Long Island, mm-hmm. I knew I needed something that was a um, commission job, and I didn't want no one to tell me you're get, you're only worth eight dollars an hour. I refused, so I said I want to make money on my my efforts. Right, so you tell me I bring five deals, I'm gonna get ten thousand dollars. I'll do it. I'll bring in five deals. Right, and so that's what I did. But I, I met this guy, Rob Flower, and um, he said, every person that you see from now on, you look at them as $4,000. Wow. And that drive home was crazy. <laughs> it was. It was. Like, I just saw, and I just said it was a numbers game. Mm-hmm. I have to talk to a 1,000 people a week to get the attention of 100. If I get out of 100, I could close 10 of them. That means I'm making X amount of dollars. And so, but then the other thing too is is building the business. So I didn't focus on the money. My grandfather always told me, don't focus on the money, focus on building the business. Most people that get into these sales jobs focus on the money. They look at like million dollar listing. They look at all these like success stories. They see people now. They don't look at people where they were. You know, they'll they'll see Gene now and they go, you don't want to be like him. I put in a lot of work, bro. Like it's cold outside and I will go outside, go door to door and put out flyers right now in a suit, Mm -hmm. straight from where I came from. But if you don't have that heart to do that, it's not going to work for you. Oh, you know what? Let me just go on social media. It's cold outside. So let me just DM five people. Five people? That's not enough. Right. You got to put in the work. Every day, every day. Well, I had a schedule and I created a plan for myself. And so every two days uh, where I know it was my slow days were the days where I went promoting outside. So I had days I called in, I had days I was outside, and I had meeting days. And so then I had times where I worked on my deals. And so I had a schedule and no one could throw me off. And so, but if you don't have that type of dedication, that type of passion to build your business, that's not going to work. So how are you balancing that in academics? The funny thing is, the funny thing is, I end up um, leaving Hofstra Mm -hmm. and going to Old Westbury. Really? Yeah. Because one of my professors said, look, because this is all in one year. Um, He said, look, you're coming here every day and you you should be like, you're one of the kids that's actually struggling to pay for this Mm -hmm. school. Um, Most of the teachers here teach at Old Westbury. Mm -hmm. Transfer. You could do it. And I was like, hmm. Said, you know what? Let me look into it. $24,000, I'll go. And I knew I wasn't going to work for anybody. So I said, you know what? This degree is just for my mom and dad at the time. So I said, you know what? I just, let me just go here. And I'm, I went over there. And it was the best move, too. Mm-hmm. It was the best move. Because I went from, I went from Hofstra where... All the kids were like super rich. Yeah. Right. And everyone was like, they were used to money and, you know, everybody to Old Westbury, where it was like, 
average like me, you know? But then I stood out because I was the guy in the suit mm -hmm. and, and coming into the school. By that time, my second year in school, coming to um, school with a convertible Mercedes. You know? You were not. I was. I was. <laughs> Yo, I was, you can't give an 18-year-old money, right? Clearly, yes. <laughs> Clearly. So, but I, I learned. I, I'm not that guy anymore. But the thing is, well, I'm sort of. But, but I learned. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I said, how can I... I need to leverage this. So I bought a I bought a uh, CLK 430 convertible. It was a silver one. So those of you- How did I know it was silver? Yeah, silver. <laughs> silver with the gray interior. And um, I would drive to school top down. People would say, yo, what do you do? Your parents? I'm like, no, real estate. They're like, real estate? I'm like, yeah, real estate. And they would say, how can I get down? I'm like, well, you can't get down with me, but- <laughs> <laughs> but if you know somebody's looking to buy a house or sell a house or refinance their house, let me know. And, you know, I'll hook you up, you know? So, and that's how it worked. And I did that for years until I graduated. And then, so from there, you know, uh, uh, well, oh. Yeah, let me, let me ask another question yeah, about that because you were in a situation where you went to Hofstra, super uh -huh. expensive, and you're working to pay for it when you had a full ride three other places, right? So I'm sure, you know, hindsight, mm -hmm. you look at your journey and say that was a part of me sort of being cultivated <laughs> as an entrepreneur and a go-getter. But at the time, uh, did you upset. resent your mom? Of course I did. Of course. Like, I, I was super mad at my parents. And I, I, um, I said... You brought me to this country to, to provide an opportunity. You said there's opportunity in this country. Mm -hmm. You said the only thing that you wanted me focusing on is education. You told me never get in trouble. You told me never get detention, never suspension. Don't have police call, don't have teachers call, don't have the school call, period. I've never done that. I got a full ride. I got three of them. And now you're telling me I can't go? Which is even crazy now. Like, think yeah, it. think about it. Mm -hmm. Three schools. But, but now, older Gene says, I forgive you, number one, mm -hmm. and I understand, and you protected me. Because my mom is probably, she, she was probably right. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be the Gene I am today, right? Mm -hmm. I would probably went to, because my first choice was University of Miami. Oh, yeah. So I wouldn't went to Miami. I would have fell in love 15 times, wow. right? Because I'm a Scorpio. Oh, and so gosh. I would have with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. So I would have fell in love. I would have had like a bunch of maybe kids out there. And I would have been trying to, I would have been an accountant and I would have had a desk job. I probably would have hated it. And so, um, I'm very, very happy, you know, that I made the, and I would have never met my wife. I would have never had my little son anew. Like it wouldn't have, Brooklyn Square would have never been here. My books would have never been here. Like my story would have been different because the, the, the struggle that I went through to get to school, like every day in the morning, right? I had a 1991 Nissan Stanza. Every day, the Stanza. The Stanza. <laughs> I had a four-door Stanza and with the, the uh, blue neon light. And every day, I couldn't take the highway to college, right? Uh, this is my freshman year. I, I, I had to um, take local so I could stop at every light and put the car in neutral and rev the engine so the car wouldn't shut down. Gosh. Like, I hate, like, when I was talking about, I was, like, upset. Because every morning, every time I got to a light, and I had to, like, rev the engine, boom, 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 right? I thought about... I could have been in Miami. Mm -hmm. I was like, why are my parents making me struggle? Why am I going through this? 
But now I'm like, yo, if I didn't do that, right. I wouldn't appreciate, first of all, the things I do have now. And also I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to go to the kids and say, well, I had a full ride and my life is this, and this is the sweet. No, I'm talking about even in the real estate game, like there was great months, but then there was low months. I didn't make money every month. And there was sometimes I, I was driving a $1,200 a note car, right? And so there was some months like I didn't make any money. I blew it. Yo, what you guys doing this weekend? Miami? Yo, let's go. And we would fly out for the weekend. I would pay for my friends. Oh, we will stay at the Sagamore. And yeah, thanks guys never paying me back either. <laughs> so, um, so then we would fly back, go to work on Monday, and then do it again. But then guess what? Your car note is still due. Mm-hmm. And I'm like hiding my car from the repo, man. Like I went through that, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm very transparent. And so there's good and bad, but it's not always good. It's not always good. Like, so, but I wouldn't have had that story if my mom told me, yeah, you could go. Right. You know, and so I appreciate that. Thank you, mom. And I feel like in Miami, <laughs> at one point or another, you might have had a duffel bag full of money in your possession. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Something absolutely. might have happened. Somebody would have, somebody would have saw my talent and my skill and my, you know, uh, and they would have said, hey, you know what? You want to work for me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think, I don't have the heart to sell drugs, but. No, um, but you know, if you're talking like an accountant, maybe a washing money Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Oh yeah, the washing money situation, I probably would have. <laughs> Just never know. Yo, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know, but hopefully, I don't know. I think my mom and dad raised me right that I wouldn't do that, but you know, I don't know. She knew you loved Maybe me. Maybe if they threatened me. <laughs> Have you ever seen Ozark? Yes. Yeah. So I, yes. I always thought, like, if I was in that situation, what exactly would I do? Yeah. But that's yeah. why I thought about the washing money thing. But anyway, yeah, back yeah. to your story. Uh-huh. So you, you you get money on the real estate front, mm-hmm. um, but there are ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. When did you decide, I can't do this forever, I want to do something else? Interesting thing is the um, I was going to do it forever, mm-hmm. right? And um, my one of my clients, Patrick Jeffrey, said, this is how I got into AC. And started doing sports and mm-hmm. management. One of my clients said to me, Hey, you're wasting your time. Mm. I'm like, Wasting my time? I'm 22. I'm making high six figures. I'm living the life. I have no girlfriend, no kids. I'm chilling. What are you talking about, wasting my time? He said, You make money, one, and then you have to always start over. If you were managing me, you would make money once and then you would make money for your lifetime because I'm in film. Mm. So he said, you know what? I believe in you. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm working on a deal with Quincy Jones about the first black billionaire, Reginald Francis Lewis. Shout I'm out to, to Reginald yeah, Lewis. Yeah. So he, he did an adaptation of the book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? But he couldn't name it that. So they named it the Reginald Francis Lewis story. And so he sold the script to Paramount. He put me on as uh, his manager. Really? So they gave me a check. Had you done anything? No, I didn't do anything. But this is what I'm saying. And then so now the, it's not greenlit yet. Hopefully. Hopefully one day We're it is. huge fans of yeah. Reginald Lewis. Oh, yeah. Show. We have talked about it before. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So um, so that was my first experience, like, with management. And I was like, wait, I just got this for doing nothing? And then when the movie comes out, and he was, at the time when this was going on, it was American Gangster. Mm-hmm. So he was like, look, the book, the screenplay, now the, the movie came out. And then now when the movie comes out, then it's going to go to DVDs and then TV. And every time he plays, you're going to get residuals for the rest of your life. And I'm a money guy. So I was like, what? Okay. 
Let's, I'm down. And he's like, but you have to start a company. I was like, uh, all right, ACA. And so I, I grabbed like my cousin, Tamar, I grabbed two of my friends, I grabbed my, one of my business partners, a good friend of mine. He's like family both. And I, I was like, do it with me. And they were like, do what? And I was like, ACA branding. Like, let's, let's just, you know, let's, let's start this up. So we, I said, but we have to do a big launch party and we have to rent out uh, 4040 in, in the city. You did not say we had to did. rent out 4040. Yeah, to launch, to launch a company. So we launched this company. We had private cars. We mailed out invitations, hard plastic invitations, invite only. We had a uh, 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 private jet company sponsor, Vibe Magazine sponsor. So like, wait, hold on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so you ACA, you're about to launch this company, mm-hmm. but you don't have any projects in the pipeline. Nothing. Yet. I had one client. No, two clients at the time. Two clients. Two clients. It was two brothers. It was Patrick Jeffrey and his brother that played for the CFL. That was it. Two players. And then two two clients. But we had a bunch of people that we already knew. Mm-hmm. And and my cousin Tamar, shout out to her, she introduced me to this guy named uh two two friends, Mark and Maine, who were like influencers in the city. So by bringing them on as to help us to promote this party, right? The launch, they brought all these celebrities like Estelle and uh, a bunch of people. Like For a brand nobody had ever nobody ever knew. But the thing is, they're getting these invitations like in the mail, mm-hmm. hard plastic, gold foil. Like, like you have to like break the seal. So they're like, who is the 4040 open bar food? We had Vanessa Simmons um, uh, um, sponsoring it. Like, you know what I'm saying? We paid them. Mm-hmm. We had Kanye West had a book. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but we were giving out gift bags. Right. And how did you bankroll this? My mortgage money, my real estate. Gotcha. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I pay for everything. Right. But then, and here's the thing, leverage. I know you don't know Gene Alert, but you know Vibe Magazine. Right. So I said, look, Vibe, I'm going to list you as a sponsor, but I'm going to (laughs) pay. I just need your logo. So you just asked to use their collateral, yeah, yeah. their intellectual And I property. said, you guys could put your, your magazines in my, that's your sponsorship. You guys could give me a couple of magazines to put in the gift bag, but you don't have to pay any. I'll, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll do it. Okay. Pastry. Yo, look, we're going to put your logo on the, um, we're going to make the logos. I mean, we're going to make the cupcakes, but we're going to put pastry's logo on the cupcake, right? And we're going to have, we're going to pay the pastries girls to walk around wearing your pastry stuff. Because pastry was popping. Pa- yeah, pastry was yes. popping. So you guys are walking around with with your stuff like to promote pastries, but promoting ACA. Here, we'll pay the girls. We'll put you as a sponsor. And it, it was so crazy that night. I, I'll never forget this. Chrisette Michelle was outside. She forgot her ID and she wanted to come in and they wouldn't let her in. <laughs> but it just so happened that Jay-Z was in the club. At that, because it was same. It was like we launched during playoffs, mm. so he was watching the playoffs. He wasn't there for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna take that. But he he asked Tommy, which was the um, he asked Tommy, which was the um, the manager at the time, and he said, oh, "I know all these people. <laughs> Why was I invited? <laughs> Who who's throwing this party?" And he was like, "This guy Gene. He said, "I want to meet him." introduced me to him, walked over and I was like, hey, I'm Gene. And and that was it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I met I met Jay-Z. I gave him a gift bag and I was like, yo, thanks. You know, so it was just that night was so elegant. It was, people still talk about it, you know? So how did because here's here's what I want to talk about. Because I think the the fear, the hesitation that a lot of people who want to create something that they have is all right, I have this money. 
my resources are not limitless. I'm going to dump all this money into this one thing, this huge launch, this initiative. And what happens if it doesn't work? What if that doesn't convert into dollars? Did you ever have that thought? All right. No, but I have to say this. I'm a Scorpio, right? Mm -hmm. And Scorpios know how, this is how we think. If we say we're going in, like this is how I, if I say yes and I commit, once I commit, there is no plan B. Mm -hmm. If I have to, if I have a hesitant thought, uh, will this maybe, uh, it's off the table. I'm not doing it. I'm, that's why I never got into like prepaid legal yeah. and uh, selling coffee and all this stuff because I don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. I believe in myself. I have faith, right? And I know I'm going to grind. So um, ACA was one of those businesses where, and I got into other businesses after because I did, because it was successful. I said, you know what? I might try this next business mm -hmm. with this guy and with her. And, you know, let's try. And they all fail. But the one that never failed was the one that I was fully invested in. And so, um, no, I never had that thought with ACA. Mm -hmm. um, even with even with um, Brooklyn Squirrel and all the other ones, some of the ones that I fully invested in, I don't have those thoughts. Because when you when you believe in something so so much, you're passionate about it. There's no way it could fail. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no way. Like, because people want that energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, once you, if you're not confident, you don't walk in that confidence, people smell it and they True. see it and they like, I'm not doing business with you because you're not really that confident about your brand in the first place. But when the person's confident and the person's like, look, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is going to work. This water right here, this water right here. This is the best water that this is that this is better than alkaline water. And you're like, what? Yeah, I got to try it. And if you get five, six other people talking about this is the best water, better than alkaline. Guess what's happening? Everybody starts buying it. Look at that water bottle that people, the water that everybody's drinking now. It's like $5 a, you know. And so yeah. what's so good about that water? That water actually makes my mouth dry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I have alkaline water in my house. So I know that's not alkaline water. But the thing is, but so many people are pushing it. Right. They believe now everybody falls in line. And that's what happens. But when you have a business where, and if you're an entrepreneur and you have a business where you don't believe and you're like, well, I don't know, this might work, this might, uh, pack up. Right. Pack up, pack up. It's not gonna work, you know? And that's why I applaud you because you've been consistent. I talk about this on my show. You have to be consistent. You have to be. Like, you release an episode every Tuesday. That's why I listen. And we were just, Demarcus and I were just talking about this on, on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people who come behind us and they're like, oh, what equipment are you guys using? Or how do you do this? So I, and I'm thinking about starting a podcast. And I always tell them, it's easy to start a podcast. It's not easy to sustain a podcast. Boom, bars. And that's the, the <laughs> difference, right? And, and you know, we're, we're still in this organic growth process. But there are weeks where we're just like, ugh. <laughs> Too I, no, I, I can't do this. Like I'm no, just exhausted, or things happen. Like today, I will uh, out myself, but I forgot the mics. Right, so all these you're juggling all these things, and it happens. But it's the sustainability piece and mm -hmm. the passion and the confidence and knowing that you're onto something that is really what keeps mm -hmm. you going even Absolutely. in difficult days. And you and you, uh, as an example for this point. Um, you show that every Tuesday. Like I hear it from wherever I am. Mm -hmm. I hear the passion. I hear the confidence in December 26th. So if you don't have that level of confidence right. in your business, the people listening, 
If you don't have her level of confidence, my level of confidence, it's not going to work. Right. You know, I've been in real estate for a long time. And um, people say, well, I don't see any posts. You don't really post about houses and you don't post when you had a closing and you don't post. I don't have to do that. Right. I'm winning in real life. I don't need to go on social media to show you that I'm winning. Like I'm going on social media to show you my son. I'm not, how how much fun I'm having. I want to show you a happy wife. I want to show you a happy a happy kid. You know what I mean? Like I want to show you I'm having a good time at school and teaching. You know, like the entrepreneur thing thing is cool for me. But now I'm in schools. I'm teaching. I'm empowering kids. Right. Like. I'm giving back. Like, I mean, right now I'm in nine schools teaching kids entrepreneurship and leadership and like having the mindset. You know, everybody wants to sell programs and everybody wants to sell these uh, workshops, how to get money quick, how to do this, how to do that. How to, but if your mind isn't right, it's going to be a wash. Right. Because you're not telling people how to be confident first. You're telling people, here's the bad. And you're you're pushing them towards the bag versus the mindset of of what real long-term growth and legacy plays are. You're not getting paid to do a podcast. You're probably spending money. Absolutely. You know? So now, but you're confident and you're passionate. If you're just chasing a bag, you would probably be at episode 10. Literally, we would be like, <laughs> we wouldn't even be double digits. You know, if yeah. It just about if it was that. just about the money, like just the off the off of just on the podcast stuff alone, right? When I started my podcast with Cumulus, they, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but I will because it's part of, you know, we're transparent. They didn't believe in me, right? Really? So we had to record on a Saturday. So shout out to my producer, Jamie, because we had to record on a Saturday because they thought I was going to give up. Really? Mm -hmm. And then once they saw the numbers were going up, I was consistent and I never asked for anything more than I was giving. Then they were like, hey, you want to record during the week? <laughs> because they saw the consistency, yeah. they saw the passion. I even bought my own backdrop. I didn't ask them for anything. I was like, yo, you gave me enough. You gave me the opportunity. Now I'm going to show. And I think the lesson there, too, is sometimes when we exude that confidence, we expect people to buy into it right away. Mm -hmm. And and they may see something there, but like mm -hmm. you said, there's a proven ground yeah. that may need to happen. Yeah. One time, maybe if you meet me for the first time, it's like, oh man, he this guy's cocky. But then I'm doing the work. Mm -hmm. Second day, you meet me, oh wow. Third time, fifth time, sixth time, two years, three years, Gene's the same. No, it's literally who you are. Yeah. They're like, yo, this dude is serious. The other day I posted something on Instagram because the kids were like, we want to get on your Insta stories. I was like, ah, <laughs> all right. I want to see what these kids have to say. So they all got together and I'll show you off my, off air. And the kids was like, you literally the best teacher in the world. And I was like, yo, I felt like crying. Because mm -hmm. I was like, this is what I want. Right. You know, like it, have, it has nothing to do with money. I'm changing these kids' lives. The kids literally were sending me messages talking about, uh, after your class, I'm looking at school different. Mm -hmm. What? I want to go home and pick up a book. Yes. That's what you want to do. You want to inspire them. You know what I'm saying? And I tell people all the time. It's either we inspire them now or we go home, watch the news at 11 and say, man, that kid is on my block. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's what happened. He was such a good kid. 
why do you go down that road? Uh, because you didn't spend the time with me. <laughs> so I don't want to have those stories. I want to have the other stories. Oh, yeah, you know that kid? Yeah, now he he runs a Fortune 500 company. Oh, you know that kid? Yeah, he opened up a business down the block. Oh, you know that kid? He does this. Oh, blah, blah. Right. You know? And so, but when they see you, when they see me come in, at first they're like, who's this guy? And I tell them the story and I get them... I get them uh, engaged. And uh, and it was a message that my mentor, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, said to me, right? He said, there's three mindsets. You have the poor mindset, the middle-class mindset, and the rich mindset, right? And the poor mindset will judge you just by material stuff. Mm -hmm. What kind of car you drive, what kind of you know watch you have, or whatever, shoes, whatever, right? And they'll judge you by that. And based on that, that's how they're gonna do business with you. Because you have a Ferrari, so that, so now, because you have a Ferrari, I want to do what you do. Right. Then that's the poor mindset. It has nothing to do with money, like in the bank. Mm-hmm. You could have a poor mindset and be rich, like, you know, with money in the bank. The middle class, the middle class thinking is like this. They don't care about material stuff. They only care about accolades. <laughs> Accolades, degrees, what school you went to, what associations, what if your kid's part of Jack and Jill or not, like, and that's that circle. Mm-hmm. If you're an Alpha, AKA, Mason, whatever it is that you're part, you, that's it. That's right. what they judge you by. Then the rich people, the rich mindset, they don't care about any of that stuff. How can we make this happen? Yes. Bottom line. I don't care what school you went to. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what groups you're a part of. I know what you do. You're an attorney and I'm a realtor. What? How can we make this happen? Mm-hmm. Done. And so that's why I teach the kids. That's why I teach the kids to have that mindset. Because kids typically will have a poor mindset. Right. You know, so you 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 come into a school, you come into a class and you grab you get it out the way. Yeah, I worked with Kevin Hart. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I worked I worked with Diddy. Yeah, what? Yeah, I drive a Benz. What? Yeah, I got a Rolex. What? And then now let me show you how to work. And all of a sudden they like, you got their attention. But when you're just like, yeah, so A plus A plus B minus C squared is blah blah blah. blah. They're like boring. Right. You gotta hit them where they know. And then, but once you get them. Now you deliver your message. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing. And that's why I'm so successful at it, you know? And um, I see a lot of kids gravitating, getting out the uh, the negative stereotypes. Yeah. I have a program called Groundwork, where I work with 10, like, small groups, 10 kids, 10 boys. And these are the kids that are at risk, mm-hmm. right? Like, fighting, just problems. And we literally spend two hours during a school day, and we talk. And the teachers text me. The, te- the, the principal just emailed me um, for one of my schools last, on Friday, saying... I don't know what you're saying to these kids, but I see the difference. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow. Sometimes you just gotta listen to them. Right. You don't know what you don't know why they're spazzing out in the hallway. You don't know. Maybe they didn't eat True. for two days. You don't know. But you're you eating, you're comfortable, you're chilling, and then you taking and you're angry too, maybe. And you're taking out this kid and he's like, yo, you're the enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but you're really not, you know, but you got to listen to them, you know, so it's all good. So, so backing up, because I, I want to get to your journey of how you got in, got into creating these school programs and your book and all this other stuff. But post-launch party, mm-hmm. how did you get to the Kevin Hart's, to the Diddy's, et cetera? Uh, 
All right. So the Kevin Hart story. Mm-hmm, All right. For it. So the Kevin Hart story is um is is an uh, interesting one because uh, during that confidence, right? So I have that confidence in uh, ACA, and we're we launched in 20, 2007. Uh, now we're in two thousand nine. Two years. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, uh, we had good highs because the Giants just won the Super yeah. Bowl. And I had two giant players, right? Shout out to Pope. And during that high, I realized, man, I made a mess up. I had a mess up. And the mess up was this. And like I said, I'm transparent. So we had an opportunity to throw a party for Michael Strahan and for his retirement, right? Because of his brother, Chris. And so... Uh, so we helped produce that party. A guy came up to me and said, I heard you the man to, to deal with with uh, marketing and branding. So I was like, yeah, what team do you play for? And he was like, I don't play for a team. And I was like, yo, here's my card. Call me when you play for a team. You gave him the brush up. I gave him the brush up. But my partners, because it was NFL draft weekend, so they were at Mansion. They were where all the rookies are and all the draft picks are. So I'm thinking my party is more of the seasoned football players and people who retired and no one's in there that's new. I didn't think a draft pick was going to be in there. Come to find... So the next day I get to my office in Bogart and I said, I I told Jason... I was like, yo, um, this guy came up to me. He said, what was his name? I said, um, he had a funny last name, Crab, Crabtree, Michael Crabtree. He was like, what? He was like, yo, that's the number one draft pick, bro. You let, where's his number? What happened? Give me, I was like, I brushed him off. He was like, are you serious? This dude's still playing in the league, right? And stories like that, things like that showed me that, you know what, Gene? This is not my lane. Mm-hmm. Sports is not my lane. Like, I'm good at getting people deals and giving them, you know, bringing opportunities to them. But I don't know players. Yeah. I don't know them. Clearly. Clearly. Mr. So, yeah. Draft it. So, I, I said, and I prayed about it, and I'm very spiritual. So, I prayed about it. I said, look, Lord, please show me something else. Like, I know I want to be in entertainment for now, and um, I'm going to keep trying this. And what do I do? So, my wife's birthday birthday was coming up and uh, we went to Caroline's for a comedy show and there was a guy named Will Servants he was opening up for Samoa and it was snowing so there was a a room full of Asians white black gay straight young old everybody was there Caroline's brings out a very I have been there a very diverse crowd very diverse crowd and I went in the room and I'm looking around and I'm saying to myself wow All these people came out to see three black people tell jokes and they all paid $30 to get in and there's a two drink minimum. I said, I told my wife, I think I got it. I think I know how to save ACA, take ACA to the next level. And she was like, how? And I was like, comedy show. So she was like, you never done a comedy show before. I said, yeah, but I produce tons of events. So this should be easy. So I went in and I, um, after the show, Wilson Vince was at on the steps, on the Caroline steps to go back upstairs. He was giving out flyers, like, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Facebook. So I told him, I said, yo, Will, I want you to be on my show. I'm going to produce a show and... Your show that you just... The show I just came up with. I was like, I want you to produce... I want to be... I'm going to produce a comedy show. I want to do business with you and I want to line up. And at the time, Steve Harvey was the big comedian Mm -hmm. at the time. So this is 2009. And so he was like... I was like, let's talk on Monday. So on Monday, he was like, yeah, all right, sure. (laughs) 
So I called him on Monday. My office is still in the city. So I, I'm on Park Ave. I call him up and I said, look, I want to produce a show. Give me two comedians that are in the come up that you think I can produce and get so we can put a show together. He was like, well, I can't give you two, but I know one. And this guy, he's from Philly and he's going getting back into comedy. And um, I think it'll be a good look. I said, who? He said, Kevin Hart. I said, so plain guy? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seriously? So he was like, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, let's do it. I thought it was gonna be super easy. Mm -hmm. So he was like, what venue? I said, let's do theater at Westbury in Long Island. Took me like four months, couldn't get an answer from them. So then, the so that's the venue. The artist, I'm trying to get, now he put me in touch with Kevin Hart's um, managers, right? And so this, oh man, you know, I want to use this part, this second part as- Okay, so yeah. we can put a pin yeah, in here. Yeah, 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 we put a pin yes. in here. But, but basically that's how I got Kevin Hart, mm -hmm. right? And I started working with him and I produced the show and that was, um, that was that story. The, the the Puffy um, story was interesting because it was through someone that used to work with me as an intern. Um, and I'm super proud of this guy now, man. Like, I go to CCC, Christian mm -hmm. Cultural Center, and there was one of my friends, Joed, right? He went to the church with me. So Sunday, um, not Sunday service, um, New Year's service, he was there. And he just graduated from school. And he was just like, yo, can I get an opportunity? Can I? So I was like, yeah, come work with me. And so he saw my work as work ethic and he basically got another opportunity through his fat brothers to go work at Revolt. So when he got to Revolt, he knew that we print nice business cards and we do great work. So when he heard Diddy wanted new business cards for all the companies because they had to move their offices, he was like, yo, you need to come down to the office now. So I came in with all my samples and they were like, all right, just leave this one and this one. And then two days later, they're like, oh, bring the other samples back. So I was like, yo, you don't want me to just leave all of them? They're like, no, no, just leave that one. And then so I was like, all right, so I'll leave one. Then I leave. Two hours later, yo, you know the other one you showed me? Come bring that. Did these people want to see that one? So I, I literally went there 15 times. No. Giving samples. And every time I said, yo, let me just leave them here. You guys can keep all of them. No, 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 no. We're going to get confused. Let's just, when, whatever he asked for, keep that one. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we finally went through it. And I kept coming up there, kept coming up there. But what I realized about corporate and working in that industry is that even when I, I kept going up, as the CEO or ACA, right? In a suit, came up every time, every time, every time. No, I never complained to them. And um, when I did get the contract and to you know print out all the cards, I printed for Combs Wine Spirits, Blue Flame, Sean John, and Combs Enterprise. All of them, all four. When the only cards I didn't print was Revolt. And when I came up there, I said, you know what, people rotate. So I want to make sure when I print out all these, it was like 15 card sets of for each person. Like it was a lot. Yeah. It was like 60 sets of cards. I went and delivered the cards to each person myself. And I put a thank you card in each box for each person. So I, I, I wrote handwritten thank you card to each person that had nothing to do with me. They don't know me. And I came to them and I said, hey, here's your set of cards. I'm the one that printed it. So they put the face, you know, face, name. They opened up their card when I left. Mm -hmm. They saw, wow, my picture's on the card. 
It was like, this is nice. So when people were leaving the business, you know, when you leave, typically they're like, yo, so we need new cards. Who do we go to? Right. And they're like, I don't know. And then they're like, oh, you know what? I got the guy. He was the guy who printed the last set. So I always re up, re up. And I had that account for four years because of that, you know? So, um, but it's all about leverage. Yep. You know, how can I leverage this opportunity? Because my boy Joed ended up moving to California, working with Diddy out there. So when he left, I had nobody. Mm -hmm. All the people I had on the inside, when they moved to the new location, a lot of them got fired. <laughs> so that's what happens. That's what happens. So you had to, I had to leverage and be nice to every single person. And even the same thing with the schools. People always ask me, how did you get into the schools? Like people try their whole life. They go to school to create programs to get into the school. Right. How did you do it? And I said, from my frozen yogurt shop. You're like, what? Who comes, who could come to a frozen yogurt shop during the day in the summertime, in the middle of the week? Educators. Right. What do I have right there when you buy the yogurt? My book. They see me, they see the book, they see the business, they see employees, they see everyone's having a good time. What do you do? Oh, this is what I love to do, you know? And so they're like, can you come to speak at my school? Sure. Can you come in a career day? Sure. Free. Then all of a sudden, people, you know, you're talking, you're talking, you're, you're networking, you're building relationships. And next thing you know, they're, are you a vendor? No, what's a what's a vendor? How do you become a vendor? Can you show me? Yes. Boom. Now I'm in. Once I'm in, now it's do you know any other principles that might need my <laughs> actually I do. Boom. So now it goes from one to another to another to another, and that's how it rolls. You know? And I like I just want to pause here because mm -hmm. I, I think people see people like you online or what you've been able to build. They're like, oh, you know, obviously you have something special, right? You have that it factor, that je ne sais quoi, <laughs> which is important. But I know a lot of people with that who don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but the the key lessons here are like you've never been. A, first of all, you've had you have the confidence, but you've never been afraid to put the work in. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people, we come up with these grandiose ideas and we're like, oh, I can I can get money this way. But we we invest in it once mm -hmm. and then we just want it to blow. Right. Or we we have one pipeline. Like for you, let's go back to mortgage. You had the the the, the classmates and their mm -hmm. parents. But then you switch schools. Right. So like there's yeah. it's, an, it's an ability to give one ten mm -hmm. from soup to nuts in the process that builds sustainable success. And I think sometimes people either they, you know, they shoot the, the long shot and hope for the best or um, they burn out at some point without really thinking about how do I how do I sustain this? So to me, that is what differenti differentiates you from a lot of people. Yeah. Like the fact that you are literally going hard mm -hmm. from the beginning, if you've conceptualized it and you, and you believe in it from the beginning to it. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. When you just said that, I thought about Will Smith, mm -hmm. right? And this brick wall, right? Will Smith said his father every summer used to have him build a wall, right? And so I look at work mm -hmm. as this brick wall. Brick by brick, just laid out perfect. Tile by tile, whatever it is, flyer by flyer, person by person, mm -hmm. like school by school, student by school, book by book, whatever it is that you're selling, whatever it is that you're giving out to the world, brick by brick, just make sure that brick is laid perfectly. Right. Most people 
want the wall, but they don't want to lay out the bricks perfectly. They don't want to take the time. Laying out tile, for example, mm -hmm. is very tedious work. But when it's done right, it looks flawless. When it's not done right, you see some the floors are unlevel because it takes a lot of time. But when someone sees the final product, right, it looks like, oh, you just put it on the floor. Right. <laughs> no, it's not just put it on the floor. Coming from a person who knows how to do tile, right? It's not easy. Laying brick is not easy. Doing work, building that business is not easy, you know? And so um, the thing about me is this is all I got. Yeah. This is all I got. I know that I'm not going to um, get it through osmosis. Mm -hmm. I know it's not just going to appear. I know success is not just going to fall on my laps. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you have to put in the work. You can't. There's no, there's no around it. Like, there's nothing. Like, you can't get around it. Right. You know? So you mentioned... Brooklyn Swirl. Mm -hmm. a Brooklyn Swirl. Times. How did you get into the frozen yoga business? My wife. <laughs> my wife. So my wife is a um, she's a grinder too, but she's a legacy player, right? So <laughs> my wife said, um, and that's why I fell in love with her. Mm -hmm. And my wife basically said, Hey, she worked in Queens at the time, and she said, there's a red mango. We should open up a... No, we should try to bring a frozen yogurt shop to bed -Stuy. And it wasn't working. Like, nobody wanted to come. So we just created our own. And we opened 2012. And, you know, last two years, we've been fighting with uh, Landmark. We won. Now we're hopefully... We'll be finished. And um, we'll be in a place of... Um, that we get reopened, but we had to literally close to redo the whole facade of the building. But but here's the thing, and I want to make sure we make this known. Mm -hmm. It's important caveat. You've been closed for two years because of this. And I remember we, you talked about this facade issue the last time I saw yes. you. Yes. You've been closed for two years, but an important fact, mm -hmm. how you're able to be closed for two years and still just open the business back up when all this is resolved. <laughs> how, how is that? How is that, right? Number one, uh, we own the building. There you go. <laughs> So that's important. You know, uh, I, I, I don't believe in um, opening up a business in a place that you don't own. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you could do all the things that you want to do, make the space as beautiful as you want. And all of a sudden someone says we're selling or we have to shut you down. So now you invested. So now that confidence that we're talking about, mm -hmm. you don't control it. If you don't get the right lease, 10-year lease, 15-year lease, 20-year lease, right. you're in trouble. Most people get into a business, they're so excited. So if you don't have the money to um, buy your own building now, that's fine. You can rent, but make sure that your lease is a 20-year lease, right. a 10-year lease, long-term. Commercial will give you that, you know. Um, make sure of that, you know. Um, and make sure you put in there, um, and you're the attorney, mm -hmm. so... Uh, make sure you, you get your attorney to put in a clause like the first right to buy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like have that option because and that's how a lot of people end up buying their buildings that they rent out of, you know. And so um, but that's how Brooklyn Squirrel came up. And that's that's how we're able to sustain and good credit. 
<laughs> good credit. Yes. Like, you know, there's loans out there. There's the, you know, but you need good credit. You need finances. Like to fight, to fight the good fight, you have to have finances to fight. Absolutely. Like, because I call it the attack. This is like the final attack for gentrification, right? First, they, they get rid of the renters. They raise the rent. They get rid of them. Then you, you get rid of the business owners by raising their rent. Yep. But if you own the building, how can they get rid of you? Then they throw the landmark. Then they throw violations. Then they throw all these things at you because you they know, hey, you might, you're, you're close. So you can't fight. Yep. But they don't realize that, hey, we make money. You got access. To we have access to capital. You know, we're not, you're not just getting rid of us. Now, because we fought, no one's bothering us for two years. That's a powerful testimony. Mm -hmm. They're not bothering us no more. No one's calling us no more to act, offer to buy the building anymore. No one. <laughs> because I've made it public. We're not selling stay away and we will fight. And so now no letters, no harassing calls, no notes on my door, calling my parents' house, calling my wife's parents. Like, yeah, they would harass everyone. They were hitting the family, hitting the family tree <laughs> trying to get us to sell. But now they know that it's not going to happen. It stopped because they see like, yo, these guys ain't going nowhere. You know, I told this guy one time, I said, would you sell the property that you are going to leave for your kid? Mm -hmm. He's like, absolutely not. So I'm like, so why are you trying to do that for me? Why are you trying to take away our son's legacy? Our legacy to our son. And that was it. Conversation changed. Right. You know, most times, I remember when I was in Bogart, we had a Jewish landlord, a Hasidic Jew. And he said, I really like Black people. That's what he said. He said, I really like Black people, but my only problem with Black people is that you guys, this is what he said to me in my office. He said, you guys sell too fast. And often sell to them. <laughs> yes. You guys sell too fast. He said, you guys create, your guys are creative. You guys come up with the great product, but then you sell it. He said, Jewish people, we might not be the creative ones that create, but we'll buy it and we keep it. He said, the, the Asians, he said, they uh, will duplicate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But he was like, the blacks will start, create, sell. Oh, this came too easy. I can make another one. So I'm like, oh, I got it. That's how you think about right. it? Right. All right, cool. So I'm never selling. I'm with that. <laughs> So I'm never selling. I'm with that. So let's so let's recap. Mm -hmm. You had banking slash real estate, uh -huh. ACA branding and marketing company. Mm -hmm. You wrote a book, two books, well, two books, right? Because uh, we have the other one, which we didn't even get into. Yeah, Superman, Married Man. Yes. Yeah. So you had the first book. Let's recap. Do right, time. do right, do, do good. Do right, do good, which mm -hmm. was targeting kids, kids. and um, well, not kids. It's kids, uh, but also people who are aiming to have vision fulfillment. Yeah. It's eight eight principles towards vision fulfillment. Right. So you mm -hmm. did that. You opened Brooklyn Swirl. Mm -hmm. There's a book about love and relationships. Yes. Right. Single man, married man. Yes. I wrote that with eight other guys. Yes, that you were yeah. part of. So all of these things, so people are going to listen to this and be like, Gene gets money. <laughs> but you give money to. Yes, I do. And I want to talk about that. Yes. So uh, scholarships. So one of the big things, because I lost my three scholarships, mm -hmm. I said, there's kids out there. Once I get to a place of any type of success, I want to give back. And so the way I gave back was I turned 
all those proceeds to, for my book, um, and I actually turned it into a scholarship, the Do Right, Do Good Scholarship Award. And I actually, right now, to this date, I have 38 kids that I help send to school. And I help pay for their college, some tuition, book reimbursement, whatever it is that I could do. Um, now it's bigger than just the book sales. Um, I go into schools, I'll leverage the money I make at the school, and I'll take that money and I'll bankroll it. And, and now I get corporate sponsors that actually will sponsor a kid. I get some of my friends out there and I need more of you guys. Um, make the I, yeah, make the, yeah. I need more, um, my, I call it uh, professionals for education. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these are like, I literally just call you and I'll say, hey, I want you to have a name, a name, scholar, uh, name scholarship, name it, whatever you want. Uh, these are the five kids that I picked, um, just five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and give it to him. And I don't take a dollar. So five, if you donate five hundred dollars, it's literally going to that kid's school, not to him or her. It's going to the school. Mm-hmm. Once they get accepted, we get the financial aid uh, information from the school, and we send it directly to the school. Nice. You know, and so so now it's like a way of giving back, and it helps my friends who are super busy who want to give back, but they don't know how. Right. And they just don't want to throw a big scholarship. Like we have Eric Adams that helps us um, give us Borough Hall every year. Shout out to Borough. Yes, soon to be the mayor. Yes, right. <laughs> and so um, he gives us Borough Hall every year. We have these um, um, ceremonies where we have the kids, and what I do is I have the donors in the back mm-hmm. and have this, um, the kids in front. I make them turn around and look at the donors that they never met. And I said, look, when you want to give up, when you think life is hard, I want you to screenshot this. There's a room of strangers that are investing in you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Kids cry, parents cry, like, and and that's that's what I love, right? Uh, as far as, and then also, I mean, of course, you know, we employ people yes. all the time, especially people in my neighborhood, uh, in Bed-Stuy, um, in Canarsie. Um, I'm always trying to, like, push it forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want people to see, like, you don't have to just be, it's, you win a capitalistic state, and country, but you have like this, you give, when you give more, you receive more, right? Because when you give, people want to know, people want to help you. Right. Like they, when I give a scholarship, people are like, what else do you do? How can I help you besides this? I'm like, well, if you know anyone looking to sell their home or <laughs> buy a home, call me. Like, and they're like, all right, cool. Now I'm with Compass. I used to be with a local little shop, mm-hmm. but I wanted to, because I'm getting so much business, I wanted to get to a bigger company where I could actually make a difference. Right. And so that's where I joined Compass, you know, and more of a partnership. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to work for, like, a, like a different type of company. And I've always had that mindset of, uh, and this is something I didn't talk about, but I grew up always thinking, I don't want to work for no one. Mm-hmm. I don't want no one to tell me what to do, when, all this stuff. But... When I started my podcast, I realized that I wanted to have partnerships. Partnerships is more important. Right. So if you can partner with a company versus work for them, and it's clear that this is a partnership, then do it. Mm -hmm. I don't work for Cumulus. 
That's a partnership. I don't work for Compass. That's a partnership. Absolutely. And so it works. If I miss a meeting, I'm not getting written up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I say, yo, I'm not recording this Wednesday, I'll do three of them next week. There's, they're not like, oh my God, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You're obligated to do it. All right, see you next Wednesday. Have a good week. <laughs> That's what I love. But I didn't know that because I didn't know that it was such a thing. Right. I thought when you see these big corporations, you have to work for them mm -hmm. and they're gonna dictate you, but it's not true. you know. But once my mind got exposed to that, I was like, oh, I'm in love. So I'm all for partnerships. So guys out there, if you don't have the resources, find partnerships. They, they, they're out there and they're looking for you. Absolutely. You know? So talk a little bit more about Faith Grind Inspire. Faith, which the, the, the pro of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So Faith Grind Inspire podcast was, and that's another thing, passion. I uh, It came about because I spoke at a, uh, a, a Black Entrepreneurs Expo, right? In, um, at Microcenter. Mm -hmm. I mean, Microcenter. Microsoft in the city. And this lady who taught Mandarin, she said on camera, I see you having your own radio show. And when my editor was going to edit that out, he showed, he was like, yo, Gene, I want to show you this before I edit it. And I saw the lady say that. And I said, radio show? Hmm. I was like, I never thought about that. Because I love to talk, mm -hmm. clearly. She said, um, you can have your own radio show. So I said, all right, cool. I went, I went, researched, went on Amazon, started Googling yeah. how to start your own podcast, how to start your own radio show, started researching. And then uh, I called my homegirl, Roxy. Uh, her name is Barbara. Mm -hmm. uh, she works for Radio 103.9. And I never do this, asking people validation of my idea. I called her up to say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? She said, it's a great idea. Don't do anything. <laughs> let me call, let me call my, my producers and the people, the executives at Cumulus and see if this is a fit. It just so happens that Cumulus at the time was um, building up their podcast mm -hmm. catalog. And they brought in a bunch of podcasts at the time. They got rid of a bunch of them, but um, because of the consistency right. and like diva, you know, male divas too. Mm -hmm. You know, like people had egos and stuff. So um, they got rid of a lot of people, but they gave me a shot. And like I said before, you know, they were like, eh, because they didn't want to spend all this money. And it's not that they didn't believe in me. Mm -hmm. Let me say that. They didn't, they were investing so much money in so many podcasts in production that they didn't, they didn't want to give you the weekday spot. Right. So they said, you know what? You come on a Saturday, you record on a Saturday. When you build this up, if, if you're staying on for the long term, we'll give you a shot with the weekday. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And even before that, I skipped like a year, uh, when that late, when I had that speech, this was 2017, I literally listened to podcasts all year. Mm -hmm. All year. Yours was one of them, right? And I was listening to podcasts every day, like headphones in my ear, yeah. listening to podcasts, listening to production, listening to diff just different shows. I listened to yours. I listened to how we did it, uh, how you do it, like, um, oh, how you did it. How I did this. Um, I listened to stories. I listened to mob classics. I listened to everything, everything. And Joe Buttons, like uh, Charlemagne, like everything. 
And um, and I said, okay, I got my niche. Then I started listening to the business podcast. And I realized that all the, the other podcasts, when they interview entrepreneurs, you never heard of these people. Right. But they don't look like me and you. Exactly. So I was like, I want a show where we could talk about faith, grind, inspire, not really talk about their business, but talk about their mindset and literally have them on the show talking about their business that people never heard of. I don't want to interview Diddy. Mm -hmm. And my dream is not to interview Diddy. My dream is to interview the guy who probably does business with Diddy, but no one ever knows. But he's getting money. But gets money, yeah. right? And I talk about balance. And I talk about, you know, like the balance. You asked me a question before mm -hmm. about balance between uh, schoolwork and, and uh schoolwork and like work work mm -hmm. that was an easy balance the challenging balance for me right is how do i balance work school i mean work having a wife and having a kid right how do i maintain that that's the balance that's challenging right and people people give their answers and it's like all right but i'm like you're not as busy as me <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's because I put a lot on my plate, so it's my fault. I put this on me, but um, I figured out sort of like what works in my house now. Yes. So I'm in a little routine. As long as I keep with that routine, we're good, you know? Um, and so, but the balance, that balance question that you, I was thinking about it from before. And I was like, that balance was easy. <laughs> compared to this. Compared to this. What? <laughs> so I feel like I have like a whole other hour in me. <laughs> I'm gonna chill. Um, I'll come back to you. Yes. Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Okay. So off, off mic, right? Um, and shout out to my sister, Steph. And she, I was talking to her on my way here, right? And I said, give me, because I know what I want to say, but I was like, give me a time where you think um, I was extraordinary on an ordinary day. And she said, the first thing that popped up in my mind was when you picked me up from school on 9-11. So I was like, I picked you up from school? How the hell did I get you out? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not your parent. So that was her answer. My answer, because I've been, I've been fine, not fine, but I've been preparing this question, <laughs> answer. You've been listening to the show? Yeah. yeah. So I've been listening since day one and I listen to everybody's and I'm like, all right, yeah, I, I, that's cool. My answer, right, is like this. I feel for me, every day is like, I do extraordinary things, right? Every day from, you know, dealing with the Kevin Hart, yes. right? This one was the really one that, I had, I invested $50,000 in this show. Wait a minute. Hold on. So the idea you came up with at the comedy. Yep. Saw this one up and comer. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I'm going to do this show. And then you put $50,000. $50,000. Into one show. Into one show. Not an album, not a Netflix no. special. One show. One show. One show. Okay. $30,000 to Kevin. And then $30,000 to Kevin. And that was actually, and at the end of the show, Kevin actually said sorry to me. Because that was the first time Kevin actually got... $30,000. That was the first show. So he was like, yo, bro, I'm sorry. And I was like, no, it's okay. You're worth it. And you're going to get more. Of course. Mm -hmm. You know, now Kevin, $30,000. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not getting He's, he's not getting no, nowhere near that. Like, it's like hundreds of thousands. But anyway, so... But what was extraordinary is every day people were sleeping. People were like moving on their daily life. I had to, me and my team had to figure out how we were going to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. It took us four months. That was like the most brutal winter ever. 
And I had to take everything I learned from real estate, from promoting, from, from networking, every resource, and I had to leverage everything, everyone. I'm talking about from DJ Fidel, Egypt, WBLS, all for Vibe Magazine, Source, everybody. I had to leverage everything and pull all the strings to sell. And with all that being said, I still couldn't sell tickets. Like the tickets, the tickets weren't moving. The tickets weren't moving. And then Caroline's, Caroline's heard about my show and they booked Kevin and they, 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 in January, my show was in February. Tell me why they added 10 additional shows. 10, not one, 10. So he's doing a long run at Caroline's. Yes, two weeks before my show. Oh my gosh. Two weeks. So I had to think, how am I going to do this? So I used every plug, every resource, and I was and I had to stay calm. Mm-hmm. And I got them on TV. And then uh, Haiti, actually, that's when the earthquake happened, 2010. And when the earthquake happened, I changed the show from just a regular comedy show to a charity show to uh, proceeds go to Haiti. And I partnered up with my boy uh, Unique from Edeo. Mm-hmm. And we got on TV and we got on, uh, we had Kevin as the hip hop weatherman. And so because of that, I had to like be extraordinary. I had yes. to move around. And we ended up not only selling out, we ended up um, moving away, like turning around 400 people. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had to turn away 400 people the night of the show. So we went from 500 tickets, like literally for three months to getting like saying, to 400 people, sorry, there's no room, right? And literally in like three weeks. It was the scariest thing. I was about to say 50 grand. Yo, if you're it was 50 the... grand, you had to be sweating. I, I was. No, 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 no. No, that was the one time <laughs> where I was like, yo, am I head, like, am I over my head? Like, this is scary. Like, I couldn't sleep. I literally couldn't sleep. And I I was panicking. I was nervous, but I had to stay calm. I literally had to stay calm because mm-hmm. my team was looking at me. Right. So at four o'clock in the morning, I'm going outside because I, I was like, yo, I owe money. Like, I have to sell out the show. I have to do the right thing. This show has to sell out. I talk too much crap <laughs> for the show not to do well. So I would wake up. Tell my wife, yo, babe, I got to go. She's like, where you going? It's four o'clock in the morning. I got to go promote. Before everybody wakes up, I got to go to these people's houses and put flyers on their car, put flyers on their door. And I would go, I would drive from Queens um, to Long Island and I'll go to Westbury, I go to Elma, I go to Valley Stream, I go to Uniondale, Freeport, Baldwin. And I'm talking about every morning and I was promoting. I I, I went to every, I went to every um, train station on the Sunrise Highway, mm-hmm. if you know Long Island, every car I hit, every car I put a fly on their car, every car. And but that's what I had to do. I had to do it because I, there was no other way. I was like, I'm not losing. I'm not losing. And you know, I'm chuckling because not because it's funny, mm-hmm. but because I have felt that. Mm-hmm. And you listen to the show, so you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done things this year. We're like, okay, yes. we're on the hook for thirty grand yep. or whatever. And it's like, where is this money coming yeah. from? And that will get you out of bed. Yep. And you're like, you humble yourself. And you're like, you know what? I literally just have to knock on doors yeah, until we figure got, this out. Exactly. When you guys were telling 
telling us telling the story about the the backpacks with the freight and yeah. stuff. Like I was like, yo, I've been there. <laughs> like you know, when you think something was done, done next thing done. you know, you get a bill. You're yeah. like, what? Like so. But that's the entrepreneurial life. Mm -hmm. That is what I'm in love with. Yes. I'm in love with the fact that every every day you're an entrepreneur is literally, uh, you have to be extraordinary. Right. Every day as an entrepreneur. That answer, like me being a father is extraordinary every day. My son makes my day not ordinary. Like this kid, this kid is like, beyond his little three-year-old <laughs> self. Like, he shocks me every day. And so you have to be, you have to be it. You can't, there's no ordinary day as an entrepreneur. Right. There's none. Like, you, because you're creating little issues, I mean, not issues, there's problems, there's hurdles. You just got to figure out how to jump over it, how to climb over it, how to dig under it. Like, you have to go around it. You know what I'm saying? Create a door. Mm -hmm. If they don't bring a chair, you got to bring a chair. Like, if they don't create a door, there's a wall, you knock down the wall and you create the frame and you build a wall and you, I'm build the door and you walk in Absolutely. like that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur you know what I mean and if you can't do that stay at your job stay at your job like it's not for the week it is not for the week no and I don't as someone who's been as you, you listen to Chelsea you know, mm -hmm. I've been on all sides yeah, right? yep, yeah. Um, when people say to me like I can't do this anymore I'm like okay like I, I'm not that person that's like you're just giving up because it can break you yeah it can it can break you financially emotionally and psychologically and it doesn't mean that you're a weak person no. it just means that to now might not be the time for you to withstand the weight mm -hmm. of trying to build something and another thing to add to that too is sometimes when you're an entrepreneur and you um, it's not working out mm -hmm. sometimes you have to check yourself and say why am I doing this right like why did I get into this like those crazy businesses well, I'll tell you like I, I started an app company because everybody was talking about getting an app on their phone. So I was listening to people and the guy came to me and said, hey, you want to start an app company? I can make the apps. I was like, what? Let's go. Let's call it Get At Me. I started Get At Me. I, I started, yeah, Get At Me. I started this company and I, I, I created the, um, the LLC literally as soon as we got off the phone with the guy. I went, I had the contracts, the partnership agreement. I went, opened up a bank account the next day. Like, I put some money in there, failed, flopped. Flop. I had another company. This girl was like, uh, uh, because I was in Brooklyn Swirl, everyone had natural hair and everything's so kinky, curly, uh, whatever the other ones are, right? And she was like, what if there was a calendar uh, uh, app where you could have a calendar of hairstyles? So you could go in and click on curly, and then all you see is different hairstyles for curly, and it'll help women of color. And I was like, yo, great idea. Let's do it. We started the business. Next thing you know, I'm like, yo, I'm not even, I'm not a, I'm not a woman of color. How am I, <laughs> this is not gonna work because I don't know how to promote this. Mm -hmm. Like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? It's not gonna work failed. You know, there's plenty of them. Like, I got, you know, because of the success with Kevin Hart, um, we end up producing a bunch of shows for different comedians. Chris Tucker, Eddie Griffin, Charlie Murphy, God rest the dead, um, Tony Rock, like a bunch of people. Um, Capone, we end up, um, I end up managing a, a tour called the Top Dogs of Comedy. Wow. Went to 14 different cities. Gas me up. What did I do? Start a business to promote, to promote uh, comedians. <laughs> Flop. Flop. 
because that's not, I, I started seeing the money. Yeah. And so I had to, you know, recalibrate and say, wait, Gene, it's not about the money. It's about the business, grow the business. And so I got out of that, you know, because I saw I was chasing the money. And so I said, no, stay, stay focused, stay focused, you know? And um, all those businesses are cool if my heart was there. Right. My heart wasn't there. My heart's in ACA, of course, because it's always going to be in there. Because um, I love branding. I love making people look good. When people And people always say to me, like, yo, you got all this success. Why do you care about someone's business card so much? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if that's my little key, like, if my little piece of their success, because when some feeling good is part of success. Right. It's true. And if you give out a business card, a Vista print card, for example, and you give out a Vista print card, it's super flimsy. It's like this paper, right? And you give that style and you ask someone for $10,000. And then I come with a hard credit card, plastic card, and I'm asking them for $1,000. Who do you think is going to get the money? Right. Even if it's the same amount, $10,000 or $1,000, who do you think is going to get the money? They're going to believe me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, look, let me give you a leg up. This is your branding. This is your this is your billboard. Make your billboard stand out. Let me help you do it. You can design it. Let me print it. And that's what happens. And I was I printed thousands of business cards. And that's one little thing that I'm never probably gonna let go. I've been doing it for 20 years, you know? Yeah. So um, that one part of the business is never gonna go away. Like, I love it, right? And that's like my my little thing. Um, and the other things is I love kids. I love going to schools, I love it. Like, so between those two, and of course the talking, the podcast, that's not going away either. <laughs> you're doing a lot and you're going to always do a lot. But I don't I feel, this. but the thing is, yeah. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Because you're passionate about it. Yeah, like, I don't feel like, I'm telling you, I don't feel like I do enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, people think I'm doing a lot, but it literally doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just feel like I'm doing the work I'm supposed to do. Your purpose. Yeah. Your purpose. But there's more. There's more. There's something else that I'm, I need to grab. I don't know if it's... You know, I don't know what it is, like building a water well in Africa or something. I don't know, but you know, like, but there's something else, but I'm gonna just keep doing it and I'm gonna keep working and I'm gonna keep grinding. Um, I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a 10-year plan no more. I used to, but all the things that I wanted, all the goals I had as a kid, I accomplished them, you know? But now it's more of like, look, God, I give up. I'm just going to keep doing what you want me to do and I'm just keep going because every time I have a plan, it fails. Right. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-mm. So I feel like, hey, we're going to, we're going to continue. You're going to be back. I already know. This, okay. So that's number one. Number two, I'm going to hop on your show. Yes. Right? Yep. So we'll have that conversation yep. about my faith grind inspired yes. journey. I can't um, wait. Which is going to be a thing. It's, it's, it's going to be a movement, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, where can people find you online? Okay. Um, so I want to first say thank you again for having me on. Finally got you yes. on. Yes. Yeah. My man, Demarcus. <laughs> and then shout out to the other two guys, too. Hey, guys. Kevin Valencia. Kevin, yeah. I didn't even know there was other people here. Like, right. They're, they're, they're the silent. We call the the silent, silent, the silent ones, right? I walked in, I was like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> but, because, uh, you know, when you when you listen to a show, mm-hmm. you sort of, like, I like painting the picture. Yeah. 
And I, I always tell people, you have to paint the picture and then frame it, mm-hmm. right? Most people want to frame it first and then try to fit the painting inside the frame. It doesn't work. So when I envision the show, I envision, you know, you and him. Which and it's just you to Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so anyway, shout out to you guys, right? And, um... Uh, but people can find me on genealert.com. So J-E-A-N-A-L-E-R-T-E at the end, uh, .com. Um, my Instagram is Mr. Alert. Um, my podcast is uh, Faith Grind Inspire. It's on YouTube. It's on um, Spotify. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, so subscribe to December 26th here and subscribe to mine, right? Her show is on Tuesday. My show is every Wednesday, right? So, and, I, and, and you want to know something interesting? Because, and you don't know this, and you don't know this. I purposely didn't want a Tuesday show because I didn't want to compete with you. So you're a real 26er. That's, that's being strategic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I purposely don't want to listen to my show and your show same time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I wanted my show to come out a day later because I was like, the December 26ers are, are grinders and faith grind inspired people too. So I want them to have a Tuesday episode with you, Wednesday episode with me, and then Thursday they can have their ratchet stuff. <laughs> And then, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and so, but, um, and, and that's how I, you know, and so when they asked me, my producers were like, because they wanted to push it on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, podcast days is, mon- uh, is uh, Monday and Tuesday. And I said, well, I don't want Tuesday. I want Wednesday. They were like, why? And I was like, because I listened to a show. And they were like, what? And it's for real. And I actually was trying to get you on that network too. Because mm-hmm. I was like, yo, and I, I plugged you in. So I don't know, whatever happens is going to happen. But, um, but anyway, so you can find Find us on anywhere you find December 26th. It's called Faith Grind Inspire. Um, and our website is faithgrindinspire.com. But if you go to genealert.com, mm-hmm. you literally can find everything. Books, podcasts, my real estate stuff. If you just want to focus on my real estate, it's gene at compass.com. You're making it happen. <laughs> You're making it happen. I'm, well, I know you don't have a plan, but I'm interested to see what the next five years look like. Yes, I am sure. too. I am too. Maybe I'll just be full-time educator. And I can see that too, actually. <laughs> I can totally see you switching lanes and like, you know, getting that quiet money. Yeah. But being with the kids. Yeah. Day, for yeah. sure. So listen, like I said, we're going to have a part two at some point because there's so many nuanced things that we didn't even get into. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the interim, you heard it. You know where to find Gene. Like, share, subscribe. We don't have a show without you. Faith Grind Inspired does not have a show without its listeners. Thank you for your support. We thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.